This is Word of Mouth. I'm Erica Janik. When workers at the American embassy in Cuba claimed to have been attacked by a mysterious weapon that left no trace, it led to a major shift in American diplomacy towards the Caribbean socialist state. But the story has also led to a split in journalism, stemming from the sources different kinds of journalists rely on. The story forces us to ask, how do we decide what we know? What kinds of information do we trust? Sam Evans-Brown and Outside In has the story. Hello. 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 This is so exciting. Is it exciting? It is for me. (laughs) I'm the least outdoorsy person who works here, so for me it's exciting. This is so very barely an Outside In episode. Fabulous. (laughs) My favorite kind. Can you introduce yourself? I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm the digital director here at NHPR. Uh, You also qualify because of your true crime. Oh, yes. I'm also a true crime author, and I host a true crime adjacent podcast called Crime Writers On. That is probably going to be the skill set that's most applicable to this story. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Uh, And of course, Taylor Quidby. Hey, what's my... uh... What's my utility in this story? (laughs) Buffer? Skepticism. (laughs) Okay, are you ready for a story? Sure. Yeah. This is a story that you've probably heard. If this was indeed an attack, how might it have been launched? So back, like, a couple years ago, mid to late 2017, we started to hear about this weird thing happening in Cuba. You basically fire... Uh, a sound that is outside of the range of human hearing. A sound American diplomats who were working and living in the U.S. Embassy in Havana were saying they had been attacked. Uh, well, l- let's, let's, let's look at the facts. I think that the facts are coming very clear that this was an attack. But the way that they were describing these attacks was, was really bizarre. All of them reported direct exposure to an unusual sound described as loud, high-frequency, very localized, and capable of following them through a room. So it was something to do with sonic waves or something. Some of these people were hearing these high-pitched noises. Some of them felt something similar to that, like, baffling sound, mm. like when you put down the one window in a car. Oh, you mean that, like, Yeah, the one that makes you want to, like, throw yourself out the car? Yeah. They were saying that they were hearing that just while in their homes and while, like, doing their dishes. Some people were saying that there were other people in the room when this happened, but the other people couldn't hear the sound. Some were hearing it at home. Some were hearing it in hotels. Some said that when they walked to an exterior door, the sound would stop dead. But after these events, all of them experienced symptoms. Not everyone had all the same symptoms, but they had a similar constellation of symptoms. Sharp ear pain, dull headaches, ringing in one ear, vertigo, uh, visual focusing issues, disorientation, nausea, and extreme fatigue. That's Marco Rubio. (laughs) I know that voice. Right, we've got a bunch of Senate hearing clips sprinkled throughout here. So diplomats were saying we're being attacked but the mechanism of the attack was was straight out of science fiction as in to most people it was just totally inexplicable in fact eventually the associated press is leaked a recording of a sound that we're told is the sound that embassy staff have been hearing and of course the next thing we know it's all over cable news i can tell you the recording itself as played through your tv is not dangerous to listen to i swear i have listened to it like a thousand times i'm fine but You ready? We've got the sound. Here it is. Oh, God. It's not good. That was unpleasant. (laughs) I think it might actually be harmful to listen to it on TV. Yeah, that was. (laughs) So, the release of the sound, of course, does not 
end the speculation. In fact, that's when things start getting really, really frantic. Exclusive new reporting this morning from NBC News. Intelligence agencies investigating attacks on U.S. diplomats in Cuba and China now strongly suspect that Russia is to blame. Yeah. So this is where the story was the last time I had checked in with it. I had read about it, worried and anxious about this mystery weapon that was being directed against our diplomats. But then, this January, I saw this article in the New York Times. Can you read that headline for us? Yes. The sounds that haunted U.S. diplomats in Cuba? Lovelorn crickets, scientists say. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. They're they're not just normal crickets. They're like horny crickets? They're lovelorn. You made it sound like this isn't really an outside-in story, but it sounds like it's... um... Sounds like it's about crickets. Oh, just you wait, Taylor Quimby. Just you wait. (laughs) Crickets with lasers? (laughs) This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. Today, I'm going to tell you a story that at first I thought was perfect for Outside In. It had international intrigue, bad science journalism, crickets, Marco Rubio. But it wound up taking me places that, frankly, I didn't expect to go. These alleged attacks on the embassy in Cuba have led to a major shift in American diplomacy towards the Caribbean socialist state. But if you've just caught dribs and drabs of the story coming out in the mainstream press, you likely still have no idea what happened. This is a story that forced me to ask a pretty tough question. How do journalists decide what we know and what kinds of information we trust? We're just going to run through the, the facts really quickly. Okay. And all this audio is from some Senate hearings that were convened to get State Department officials on the record about this issue. All right. And I don't get extra points for recognizing senators just by the sound of their voice. You do. I, do. I mean, so oh. we're going to have to back ID them somehow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So it all began right after the 2016 election, but before the inauguration. The first incident was in November. And among the descriptions that they uh, complained of, high-pitched beam of sound, incapacitating sound, baffling sensation akin to driving with windows partially open in a car, or just intense pressure in one ear. In January, embassy employees who have complained of of these attacks start visiting doctors. 16 of these were identified with symptoms and medically verifiable clinical findings of some combination similar to what you would see in patients that, quote, have had a mild traumatic brain injury or concussion, unquote. And the attacks continue throughout the spring. This is Todd Brown. He's a State Department guy. After further investigative attempts and expert analysis failed to identify the cause or perpetrator, the Federal Bureau of Investigation opened a case in early May. So this FBI investigation starts, finds zero evidence of an attack. But the State Department says otherwise. Here's Charles Rosenfarb, the State Department's medical director. In early July, my office convened a panel of academic experts to review the case histories and the test results gathered to date. Although the assembled group identified that some of the symptoms and findings could be caused by other things such as viral illnesses, previous head trauma, aging, and even stress, the consensus was that the patterns of injuries that had so far been noted were most likely related to trauma from a non-natural source. More confirmed victims start to trickle in through the end of the year and into 2018, and eventually there were 26 confirmed victims 
from the U.S. Embassy in Havana. In response, the embassy basically shuts down. The U.S. pulls out. There's like this skeleton crew down there running it right now. And then in the spring and summer of 2018, about a year ago, we started here from Canadian diplomats who said they were experiencing the same thing and American State Department staff in China who said they were experiencing it too. Hmm. Spreading spreading to the Canadians feels like a strange new development. <laughs> so I assume you've heard about this before. Yes, though. I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what did you know about it before we walked in the studio today? I assumed, because I've never heard anything uh, to tell me otherwise, that we are still thinking there's some sort of weird secret laser sonic weapon being tested or um, deployed against our diplomatic staff in other countries probably by Russia. I mean, I never heard otherwise. That was this is what you've played is literally the last I've heard of this. See, see, but that's that's what makes me think that this turned out to be as they say a nothing burger. <laughs> because <laughs> because right now our political environment is so clued into the idea of attacks and especially the idea of Russian attacks that if there was some more confirmation, if they had reached that next stage where anybody had said like this is for sure happening, this would blow up much bigger than it than it has been. Like, it's so quiet. Oh, it's not quite so much going on. If this was still happening, it would just be like another blip on the news radar. What are you talking about? So as this is unfolding, though, there's a second narrative that's starting to brew. The patients who were the victims of these attacks were getting evaluated. First, they were checked out in Miami, but then eventually they wound up at UPenn. And the doctors evaluating those patients started talking to the press. And they said they were observing symptoms that looked like traumatic brain injuries. Now, at that time, the only thing I'd heard is that, that uh, our government had said that uh, U.S. embassy employees had been attacked. They uh, recommended against travel uh, to Cuba. They essentially shut down the embassy. The stories sounded horrendous. So this is Doug Fields, R. Douglas Fields. He's a neuroscience researcher and a freelance science journalist. Subsequent reports put out that uh, that there was objective data showing damage to the white matter regions of the brain. And that's area of research that I, that I also happen to have studied traumatic brain injury and white matter. There's no conceivable way in the literature for white matter to be damaged by sound. Yeah, okay, what's white matter? It's the brain part of the brain. I thought that was gray matter. Gray matter, gray matter is the neurons, white matter is the axons. So gray, white matter is the stuff that connects the, the neurons together. Okay. So. Here's a scientist who's saying, I'm hearing something that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Doug Fields wrote an opinion piece in Undark, which is a, a publication that comes out of Massachusetts. Right. I have it here. At the root of the Cuban embassy mystery, bad science journalism. <gasps> so this gauntlet is thrown down, wow. basically saying that, that these reporters reporting on this thing aren't checking with scientists. They're not finding out if the story that you're getting fed by the State Department makes any sense whatsoever. Hmm. This is the story that I got interested in. I started by talking to Doug, who I have to say is soft-spoken, but he was very certain. You know, unless you believe in voodoo, uh, sound doesn't scramble your brain. Doug is pointing out that there's huge holes in this story. The mechanism of the attack is a sound that's loud enough to cause a traumatic brain injury, but somehow other people in the room can't hear it, which is weird. Mm. So everyone I asked, what do you think about this attack? And they all looked at me like I was crazy. I said, well, 
it's science fiction, never happened. But that was all based on the reporting about this in the popular press. The next thing that happens is they publish the results of the medical evaluations of the embassy staff in, in uh, JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, this great big science journal. Yeah, yeah that's like uh, one of the... It's one of the biggies. It's one of the ones you've heard of. Right, and, and as a work of science, the results they reported were kind of a mess. Uh, that the results can't support uh, exclusively this diagnosis, that they can be accounted for by many other uh, medical conditions, um, that some of these tests have very high false positives. They're affected by fatigue um, and stress and concentration, and these people are under stress. Um, so uh, the, the evidence provided in the paper is, is very weak. He's what he's he's saying, uh, garbage in, garbage out, right? Well, I I mean he's saying that we can draw zero conclusions from the data released. So there's no baseline testing on any of these diplomats, and mm. some of these symptoms like headaches or ringing in your ears or trouble sleeping, they're super common. So how do we know that any of this is actually new in each patient? But, yeah. But also the patient by patient data wasn't released because of privacy concerns. So all we get are these like top level numbers. 68% had sleep dysfunction. 81% have cognitive impairment. But but which patients had each symptoms, who knows? And in response to this journal article, the scientific community was just like, what even is this thing that you've put into one of our top journals? The scientific community at large deluged the journal with letters. Even when the article was published, the the editor of the journal published uh, a cover letter accompanying it, kind of explaining that this article really doesn't prove anything. That's kind of weird. It is kind of weird. It's a heterogeneous collection of symptoms. There are other explanations for these various medical conditions. There's no convincing evidence that there's an injury as opposed to disease or aging or something else. There's no evidence that there's an attack. I mean, they're basically saying that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and these clinical results just aren't doing it. And then you partner that with the fact that the FBI had opened an investigation and found no evidence of an attack. There's an AP headline, a story from yesterday, which you all may have seen, which Do you recognize the senator? says that the FBI doubts a sonic attack. And I would just read um, briefly the FBI report, which hasn't been released publicly, is the clearest sign to date of the U.S. ruling out the sonic weapon theory. The report says the FBI tested the hypothesis that air pressure waves via audible sound, infrasound, or ultrasound could be used to clandestinely hurt Americans in Cuba and found no evidence. It's our very own Gene Jaheen. Gene Jaheen, senator from New Hampshire. You know, I just on a scientific level, um, I don't know if we have time for this little caveat here, but... <laughs> But it isn't sound a wave, and therefore, don't we have some methods of focusing it the way we focus lots of other waves? So there, there are weapons, uh, sound weapons, that have been developed and have been used notably to repel pirates uh, mm. in Somalia. That's right. However, uh, what, they, what they do is, as you say, they focus it in one spot, but they mostly just make things really loud right. in that one spot. Oh, yeah. So, so the, the, it doesn't fit with what people were describing because other people in the room didn't hear it. That, and that's why you're saying infra, infrasound or ultrasound, because those would both be... Outside the auditory range. Right. So where we're at now, the State Department continues to call this incident an attack, 
but all sorts of folks outside of the State Department, especially independent scientists, are coming to a consensus that nothing actually happened? I wouldn't say it's a consensus. It's just like getting much messier. And and then the coup de grace is this cricket study, that, which came out in January and said that sound that the AP released and that the State Department said was recorded during these attacks is actually the Jamaican short-tailed cricket. And the Cuban scientists recognized it immediately as the local cricket. I mean, they live with these crickets. <laughs> <laughs> they know what it sounds like. And I looked at it. Yeah, it's a cricket. I could tell it's a cricket. So perhaps inevitably, you started to get headlines questioning the State Department's story and saying that this was likely mass hysteria. Huh. The word hysteria is a terrible word, but it's just the word we're stuck with, really. I mean, when we write, we write about mass sociogenic illness, but literally nobody has heard of that. So this is Sir Simon Wesley. Uh, mostly he works on chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, and we should just get this out of the way. Hysteria is a super sexist term uh, going all the way back to its inception. But the phenomenon that it is describing is, in fact, quite real. Well, at any one time, somewhere on the planet, at the moment, there will be episodes going on. Uh, on a hot day, a marching band somewhere in places that have marching bands, and America seems particularly prone to these, um, <laughs> will, someone will collapse in the heat and then others will start to feel faint and they'll start collapsing. And before you, you know where you are, you'll have two, three hundred people collapse on the ground requiring medical attention. And so for anyone who hears this and they're like, oh, so they're making it up. That is not what mass hysteria, a.k.a. sociogenic illness, is. Whatever else is going on, people are not malingering, nor are they acting. Even if they were Sir Laurence Olivier, they wouldn't be able to do that. People have to understand is people are actually experiencing symptoms. They are getting ill. But what's happening is the symptoms they're getting are the symptoms of anxiety. You feel frightened. You, you, know, you start to pour out adrenaline. That causes you to have all these symptoms, which make you actually even more frightened. And then if you wrongly attribute those symptoms to the poisoning, the pesticides, whatever the rumor is, um, it can escalate in seconds and, and take off. But the symptoms are very real. It's just the explanation is the wrong explanation. I can really relate to this. So every time I get motion sick, it's because I remember, oh my God, sometimes I get motion sick and I'm in a lot of motion right now. And then I start getting motion sick. I talk myself into it and the illness is real. I really don't feel good, but I literally was feeling fine before I remembered that that sometimes happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> and this plays into the, the you know, the Canadians, the, chi the people in China suddenly getting attacked. Right. It plays into that narrative. Mm. Now, however, the State Department's own panel of experts has rejected this explanation. <gasps> Uh, they've argued that these are highly trained State Department employees. Uh, it's even been reported that some of these people are actual honest-to-God spies uh, and that they know how to deal with, with stress. They wouldn't be susceptible to this type of anxiety. But uh, Simon does not buy that for a second. The problem there is that you have the world's media breathing down on the poor old diplomats affected, and this is going to be very bad for everybody. People then become the story, and it's very difficult for them to get better when the allegation has been raised that this might be a mass hysteria because they then go around thinking, my God, they think I'm making this up, which I've just said people don't make it up. These are serious stuff. But they think that, you know, that's the fear they have and the stigma they feel. And the last thing you do then is get better because in order to prove that you're ill, you have to stay unwell. And that's really tragic. And I think that's what's happening, uh, will happen in, in this episode. So at the beginning of this whole debacle, you've got 
national security reporters who have sources in the State Department and the CIA or the NSA or whatever the spy agencies who are reporting what they're getting from these intelligence sources. And the narrative is attacks by Russian spies. And then a bit later, once the scientific community starts to weigh in, science reporters who are following scientific journals and have sources in that world start hearing something different about the publicly available evidence, which is pretty slim. And so a new brand of story starts to pop up, one that says, we have no evidence supporting what the State Department is telling us here, and there are other explanations which might be more plausible. And there's one story in particular that, that really stakes this territory out uh, from Vanity Fair. The Real Story Behind the Havana Embassy Mystery by Jack Hitt. Wow. You know, it's funny. Um, this is probably a conversation for another day, but just even hearing the explanation of, you know, these are highly trained diplomatic officers. Some of them are spies. I mean, a.k.a. they're in the CIA. That's what they're saying. CIA, yeah, NSA, et cetera. Um, it actually is sort of the opposite of what's happening right now with the UFO revelations and the naval pilots who have pressured the military into yeah. accepting that there are UFO sightings all the time. Because what used to happen is pilots would say, this is a highly trained pilot. If he says he saw a UFO, he saw a UFO. And the government would be like, no, no, no. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the fog of flying. But then when you listen to the tapes, these guys are not hysterical. They're super their pilot voice. Uh, we got an object off of the... Uh, <laughs> Starboard wing or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's floating. So we have this other type of journalism that's popped up. And in fact, even NPR got in on this. Of course. The claim was extraordinary. In September 2017, the State Department announced that more than 20 U.S. diplomats in Cuba had been injured in a series of deliberate health attacks. A couple of weeks later, President Trump went even further. Uh, and frankly, this is the reporting track that I was on. I was going to put together a story where I talked to the dissenting scientists. I talked to Doug Fields. There's good science and there's good journalism and there's bad science and bad journalism. And then there's this other guy from Edinburgh who's in all these types of articles just slagging on the JAMA paper. It's surprising that a fantastic, great journal like JAMA publishes such a poor uh, report. It's just astounding. It's unbelievable. And then there's this guy in California, the one who uh, identified the sound released as the crickets. The recording released by the AP is, in fact, a cricket, and it is a particular species of cricket. And I'd have this quirky little interview with him where I call him up and I'm like, hey, what's it like to parachute into the middle of a political imbroglio, <laughs> Mr. Entomologist? Mr. Cricket expert. And this will be really fun. If you're driving a diesel truck on the freeway, you can hear these crickets uh, with all the windows closed as you pass one. The crickets clips and the Edinburgh clip, by the way, are from the NPR story that was done by John Hamilton. Uh, but that, in fact, is not what happened. In fact, the deeper I got into this, the more confused I started to get. I started with Michael Hoffer. Uh, yes, my name is Michael Hoffer, uh, H-O-F-F-E-R. I'm a professor of otolaryngology and ner and neurologic surgery at the University of Miami. Michael Hoffer is the first doctor who evaluated the, the embassy staff from Havana right after the attacks. Uh, he's down in, in Miami, and, and I thought I would get exactly what I would expect. For starters, Michael Hoffer is a bit of an unreliable 
unreliable narrator. Uh, he, there was this big Pentagon report that he was an army doctor in Afghanistan, and he had these incredibly questionable methods when he was over there. He was giving the troops an antioxidant tablet for a product that he holds the patents on. Cool. Basically, like, using the troops as his own little FDA study group. Uh, and, mm. and, and similarly, when it came to releasing the results from the Cuban diplomats, he did it in his own journal. Oh it's God. an open access journal which, of which he is the editor-in-chief, and he seemed really interested in the impact this would have on his own notoriety. They had a big press conference when the results were released. It went amazingly well. Um, there's something called altmetric, A-L-T-M-E-T-R-I-C. Altmetric. Now, altmetric is a new wave. You're, you sound young. Congratulations. It's a new wave way of figuring out how impactful a paper is. Our, our altmetric score, less than a month in, is 424. Only 1% of papers ever reach over 400 in the lifetime of the paper. Because remember, this thing builds anytime it's mentioned. Okay. Even 10 years Do we later. have to listen? To <laughs> 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 But his motivations aside, his finding was that every one of these Cuban uh, victims, all 25 of the ones that he evaluated anyway, had damage to something called an otolith, which is this little balance organ in your inner ear. And I'm thinking, okay, great. All I need to do is like do the science journalist thing where I call around some other experts in the field who know about these tests that he has used and can say, oh, this test is unreliable and subjective and this is bad science uh, and you could have failed this because you were stressed out and anxious. Uh, and so that's what I was expecting to do. So the first person I call is Bridget Wallace, who is a balanced doctor in Texas who has published in the peer-reviewed literature about this type of stuff. When you read the Hoffer paper, what was your thought? Was your thought like, oh, man, this is something, this is really interesting? Or was it like, well, yeah, but... No, I thought it was very... I think it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's more that we don't know here than we do know. Mm -hmm. But these types of studies are promising. So Bridget looked at this and she said... Uh, you know, all of these people look like they have some type of concussion. And yes, their symptoms are all over the place, but that's not unusual for concussions. There's currently not one test that says, diagnostic test, you've had a concussion. A concussion is based on characteristics of a certain findings. So an imaging, like I said, is normal. That's one of the definitions of a concussion. But there are residual symptoms. So I'm like... Huh. <laughs> Plot twist. That didn't go the way I expected. <laughs> Wait, are you doing actual journalism here where you can, like, gather information <laughs> and come to a new conclusion other than the one you hope to get to? Well, no, I'm still I'm still looking to <laughs> confirm my story that I started out with. Oh, I see. So I see. I'm like, okay, let me call someone else. I'm going to call someone who actually wrote a letter to JAMA criticizing the initial paper about the, the Cuban group. So I called this guy, Jerry Giannoli, who had actually written in saying that the conclusions to the, the Penn study were probably wrong. But again, he's like, no, no, there's something there. And I guess one of the questions I have is is um, if you're also familiar with those tests and, and sort of how reliable you consider them to be. Oh, certainly. Yeah, they're very reliable. I mean, any of these tests will have, any test in medicine, period, is going to have a certain amount of false positive and false negative. These particular tests, if they're abnormal, they have a very high uh, specificity but they're not very sensitive, meaning you can have pathology and the test will come out normal. But if they're abnormal, you can just about go to the bank that there's some, some problem. So Jerry was like, I, I was just writing in to say that they hadn't reported enough data or done all the tests necessary to fully rule out a bunch of other possible explanations, but it does seem like something happened to these people. 
So Operation Confirmation Bias is not going well for you at this point? Operation Confirmation Bias is going really <laughs> badly. And, and in fact, so I got really, really into this, right? And there, that, that, that little balance organ in your ear, the otolith. Otolith, yeah. There's actually a reflex attached to it where you can play a tone into your ear. The otolith will respond by, by triggering a nerve that sends a signal throughout your entire body. And you can, just, you can just measure the response on that nerve. So this isn't like a subjective test. It's literally like, like hitting your knee with the, with the reflex tester thing. Hmm. And people had, had literally 100% of these, these embassy people had damaged that otolith as measured by this test. Huh. Hmm. It's fascinating. So I'm scratching my head. What is going on here? What is going on? And I'm like, okay, I really, I'm still on operation confirmation bias here. Trademark, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> and here's what I'm going to do. There was this huge delegation of Cuban scientists who came up to the United States presenting the results of a giant investigation that they had done and determined that there was no evidence for any kind of attack. Well. And I'm like, <laughs> and in fact, that investigation had come to the conclusion that in all likelihood, they were just hearing crickets and there was a psychogenic illness, mass hysteria. And so I figured I'll call the lead investigator of that study because I'll get at least some scientists saying that this is bunk, even if it's questionable because he's Cuban in politics or whatever. But at least I'll, I'll have that. Let me just play the tape of what happened. Hello? Hello. Is this Sam? This, this is Sam. Is this Dr. Valdez Sosa? Yep. It's Mitchell Valdez. Yeah. It's Mitch. Okay. M Mitch. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we could connect. How are you doing? Very well. How are you doing? I'm great. So, um, is this is this how is this your cell phone? Is this a landline? I'm just curious in terms of the audio that I'll be able to get. Uh, this is a yeah landline. Okay, so that's better than a cell phone. Um, and did you did you happen to look at the 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 video that I sent you about recording yourself? Uh, I looked at it, but we we don't have the, the iPhones here. Okay. At least I don't have an iPhone. Okay. Right. So, so we'll just stick with the landline then. Oh, hearing Hello? a phone ring. Hi. That was weird. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep, it's Mitchell Valdez. Yeah, it's Mitch. Okay. okay. Very well. How are you doing? What? <laughs> what is? Wait, wait. Mitch, can you hear me still? Uh, uh, this is a uh, yeah, landline. It's what? It's repeating the call back to me. But just, but just his end. Just his end. And I just sit here quietly. Uh, I looked at it, but we we don't have the, the iPhones here. At least I don't have an iPhone. Right. So it gets to the end. Hey, Mitch, can you still hear me? We just got to the end of. What I assume to be a recording of our... Yeah, okay, and now we're looping. Okay. Hello. And it loops back to the beginning. Is this Sam? And I hung up, and I called him back, and it went to some weird voicemail that had nothing to do with him. And I called back again, it didn't go through. And I called back again, it went to the voicemail again. And I called back again, it didn't go through. And then eventually I called him on his cell phone, and we had the entirely predictable interview that I thought we were going to have in the first place. What? So this is the th this is the thing. <laughs> I like to think of myself as like a pragmatic and practical person, but my mind always goes immediately to conspiracies when I hear anything like this, right? 
somebody was there's no way that that could have been captured and repeated back to you unless it had been recorded on his end. Absolutely. They were sending you that audio just technically as an audio production person. We all know. Yeah. I mean, there's like literally I have no idea what happened. All I know is that my phone call was recorded and this was the beginning of my trip down the rabbit hole. <gasps> this is the beginning? <laughs> you have me. Now okay. I'm very excited. So I just set this story aside for a while after this incident, and I'm thinking, this does not even seem to be an outside-in story. We thought it was going to be about crickets, maybe a bit about behavioral science and what it means to be a human. And the next thing I know, I'm wondering if the Cuban government is looking at my emails and following my every move. But it was in this period that I realized that I had been in a bit of an echo chamber because this had first been billed as a, as a sonic attack. And there are scientists who know things about sound and concussions and looked at the story and they were like, there's no way that that's possible. And those scientists were very loud and outspoken and saying that it was a bunch of garbage. And the journalists in their orbit, particularly the journalists who are a bit like me and are, shall we say, inclined to show how much smarter they are than everybody else had seized on this, hey, look how smart and skeptical I am narrative. And this narrative is basically this, that the Trump administration came into power. They wanted to distance themselves from Obama-era policies on Cuba. And so when they had a few folks come forward at the American embassy in Cuba and say that they'd experienced something a little weird, it was very convenient. And so they told the entire embassy staff, hey, these guys have been attacked. Have you been attacked? And that kicked off this wave of psychogenic illness, which then spread to the Canadians and, and to China. But in this period of having talked to some folks who hadn't affirmed my story, something happened. In 2016 and 17, 25 Americans, including CIA agents who worked in the U.S. Embassy in Cuba, suffered serious brain injuries. Over many months, we have been collecting evidence of what appears to be a hostile foreign government's plan to target Americans serving abroad and their families. The story will continue in a moment. I'm going to guess that that's 60 minutes and not just a <laughs> reporter with a very loud clock in the background. No, that was 60 minutes. 100% that was 60 minutes. <laughs> so 26 Cuban embassy workers have been told that they were the victims of a hostile attack. The Cuban embassy has been hollowed out. It's a skeleton crew down there now. The Trump administration has pulled way, way back. Meanwhile, 15 State Department employees have also been medevaced out of China. And one of them is Mark Lenzi. And for reasons we'll get into it a little later... He was interested in talking to the press. Check, 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 check. Okay, real quick, can you just introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Mark Lindsay. I'm originally from uh, New Hampshire, from Barrington, New Hampshire. I went to the University of New Hampshire. Uh, Mark and I spoke on his own personal time, expressing his own personal views, not the State Department's. We talked on the campus of the University of New Hampshire, which is a place that he's been getting a lot of help, actually from his former track coach uh, and a UNH sports psychologist. Uh, when I met him, he was wearing these blue-tinted sunglasses because he says he's still very sensitive to bright light. He got an engineering degree at UNH, but then entered the Peace Corps. Uh, for two years, I was an environmental engineer in uh, Poland. Wound up working in Republican foreign policy circles. In the Republic of Georgia in 2003, when there was a revolution in that country that brought a pro-Western um, politician named Mikhail Saakashvili to power. And before finally landing a job with the State Department, he worked for John McCain's presidential campaign. Working for him, I was going to try to be, you know, ambassador to Moldova. But then once he got that job at State... 
Despite all of his experience in Russian-speaking countries, he got sent off to China. Because of my, uh, let's say, certain counterintelligence um, things that I know how to do. Um, <laughs> he's a special set of skills. I was going to say, he's Liam Neeson. <laughs> so, so you said you were a national security engineer. Was that, what, what can you tell me about what you do or did and what the job was like? Yeah, no, my job, and I still do this, I'm a security engineering officer for the Department of State. Um, we ostensibly, there's only about 195 um, of us. We have the top security clearances uh, in the government, but uh, we go around and work out of different embassies and consulates uh, in a primarily a counterintelligence uh, mission. So it's to prevent, uh, let's say, uh, foreign uh, intelligence activities, technical activities directed against U.S. embassies and, and consulates. So for, as an example, one, you know, I'll just throw this out here, uh, like eavesdropping is something that you were perhaps working to counteract. That's one of our, without getting into too many details, that's one of our main focuses, yes. So he got to China in the summer of 2016 and a little more than a year later starts to experience headaches, memory loss, sleep difficulties. And my wife and I, we both thought, just like my neighbor, um, who was also affected and has also been diagnosed with um, acquired brain injury, but uh, we thought, like her, that this was just smog. My kids were getting a lot of bloody noses at night, uh, things like this, that combined with my headaches, combined with my memory loss, things that we just described, oh, wait a minute, this is just, this is just from the Chinese smog. Because the headaches that I had, especially at first, uh, going back to October, November of 2017, weren't earth-shattering headaches, right? They're usually easily solved with aspirin. But throughout the end of 2017 and getting into 2018, these symptoms start to get worse. Mark actually started to believe that he was getting early-onset Alzheimer's, which his grandfather had had and he was terrified of. But then, occasionally, just a few times in the months of being in the apartment, they would hear things. So my wife spent a lot more time in that apartment than I did one time, and it was only one time with her. She actually woke up in the middle of the night hearing these weird sounds that we heard. And if it's... It's, it's a sound like I've never heard before or that she's ever heard before, but the best way I can describe it is if you take a ball bearing, let's say, about a, you know inch in diameter ball bearing, and let's say you're over glass, and you drop about you know uh, four feet up, you drop that ball bearing on the glass. The sound that that ball bearing would make as it's progressively getting quicker, as it, it's, it's still bouncing but getting less to the, to the ground, then followed by, picture that ball bearing in a metal funnel of about six or eight feet diameter. And the sound that that metal ball bearing would, would make going around that funnel, progressively getting faster, right, towards the bottom. That's the, that's the sound that we heard, right? Very specific. Super specific. And this sound, just like the accounts from Cuba, it didn't really behave like a sound. Where she heard that sound, or where she thought she heard the sound, and where I thought I heard the sound too, was always over my son's crib. It was always in one particular location, over my son's crib, in our bedroom, right? Was it the kind of thing where if you if you stood in one spot, that's where you could hear it, but if you moved, you yes. couldn't hear it? Yes, I mean, in the sense that only the three, it was three or four times when I heard that sound. Same with my wife. And we always heard them, always over my son's crib, always in that same room. I've asked, you know, my daughter, uh, if she heard the sound, she didn't hear the sound. It's so different than the crickets. 
I mean, what he's describing doesn't sound like crickets. The sound, certainly the sound is different, but, but, the, but that's the other thing. The sound that people described was really varied, right? So the recording that was released sounded like crickets, but people, people would describe it as like grinding sounds. Mm-hmm. They would describe it as like a high-pitched squeal, and, and they would describe it as clicks. So all sorts of, of different, and, and some people said they didn't hear anything. Right. And so it could have just been that there was a cricket in the house and someone felt something and they were like, oh, that was because of that sound that I just heard because other people have talked about hearing sounds. Mm. <sighs> Mark says he personally only ever experienced pain, like what that was described by a, a lot of the employees at the Cuban embassy, one time. And it was right near the end, the spring of 2018. Mark and his family had been feeling progressively worse and worse. They were hearing things. I imagine they were freaking out. And they moved out of the apartment and into a hotel. My wife and I, on about four or five different occasions, came back to get things from, you know, toothbrush, underwear, or something like this. One time, and only one time out of those four or five times that we came back, as soon as we opened the door, both my wife and I, on the top of our heads, felt this amazing pressure, let's say, at the top. Pain. It was painful. And we both looked at each other like, do you feel that? And I said, yeah, I feel that. That's, hold on, well, that, that's weird. And then my wife said, oh, come on. We, you know, we moved to the hotel because of these. It must be kind of in our head, you know, literally. It's probably nothing. Uh, let's just get the stuff. We were in that apartment for about two minutes, felt it the whole time. And at the end, I said to her, we need to get the F out of here. And we ran out of that apartment because for those whole two and a half minutes when we were collecting the toothbrushes, whatever it was, that pressure did not go, that, that feeling of pressure on top of our head did not go away. We went out of our apartment, got into a taxi to go back to the hotel, and there was nothing. It dissipated. It's like the Amityville Horror House, right? Get out of the house, get out of the house. So in May of 2018, Mark's neighbor is the first to get evacuated. And to this day, she's the only one that the State Department says has symptoms matching the workers at the American embassy in Cuba. Everyone else, they say, is actually slightly different. Even though, according to Mark, who obviously has like talked to his neighbor about this quite a lot, says that their symptoms are the same. Hmm. Now, obviously, when, when news headlines started to hit that now State Department workers in China are having a similar experience, it was a big deal. I mean, China pledges to cooperate with an investigation. They say they have nothing to do with it. All of that. Hmm. And... Mark, all the while, is complaining of worsening symptoms, gets evaluated in China and then evacuated in June, just a few weeks after his neighbor. And back in the U.S., the State Department sent him for further tests and treatment at UPenn, the same team of doctors who evaluated the embassy workers from Cuba. And according to medical records that he sent me, cognitive impairments resulting from an unknown environmental exposure in China. And according to Mark, he was told by the the physician at UPenn that his deficiencies were eerily similar to the Cuban diplomats. Uh, And they actually asked to enroll him in a study that consisted of 15 employees from China and 26 from Cuba. So, so why is, why is he talking to you? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it seems like a little small fry (laughs) NHPR. I resent that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, He's just talking to whoever will listen because right. he feels that the State Department is trying to sweep this under the rug. I mean, so for example, an example of the State Department of what he believes is going on here. He sent me two copies of the enrollment paperwork for that study that UPenn is doing. The first one says, this study is sponsored by the U.S. government. 
And then Mark told me that he had this confrontation with a State Department official who, who found out that UPenn was enrolling folks from the embassy in China. And, and shortly af- afterward, he was sent new enrollment paperwork that now said, this study is sponsored by the Department of Neurosurgery at the University of Pennsylvania. Hmm, so there's some gamesmanship going on here in some governmental office somewhere. Yeah, they don't like the look. Well, and so so I asked the State Department for comment on this, and I got a phone call from several senior State Department officials uh, who did not want to be named. One phone call from several people? Six people on the line. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, and they essentially told me that the investigation to both China and Cuba is ongoing. They've reached no conclusions as to what the causes were in either case, uh, and that they uh, don't have anything to do with the UPenn study. But the other reason that Mark's talking to me is, is that he says that because of the geopolitics here— uh, and that State Department is trying to not endanger China, he feels that he's getting treated badly. Again, like I said in 60 Minutes, you can kick around Cuba, right? Our trade relations are minimal. Our diplomatic relations are, you know, are such that that is good in Florida. Let's say it plays to certain constituencies to, to play strong against that regime for, quote unquote, not cooperating enough, right? But with China, that's a completely different beast in the sense that the U.S. mission to um, China the embassy in Beijing, the consulate in Guangzhou. These are some of the most important missions, literally the important, most important missions for the U.S. in the world. Uh, you know, so according to him, they refused to evaluate his nanny, who is a Chinese national and who he says was also affected. And, and when he finally twisted some arms to get her into a hospital, she was treated very dismissively. And, and, and furthermore, uh, Mark is having to take sick leave to attend his treatment and therapy and wasn't allowed to take something called administrative leave, which is available to the folks who were injured in hostile action. So the Cuba cohort gets this. So are we any closer to knowing what actually happened here? Well, so the doctors at UPenn were quoted in the New York Times saying last year that they believe that there is a prime suspect and that that prime suspect is microwaves. That belief appears to have come from uh, a researcher, Dr. Beatrice Golam, a professor of neuromedicine at UC San Diego. She introduced me to something called the microwave auditory effect, which in layman's terms, is the fact that your skull can sort of act as like a satellite dish and can catch and focus microwaves and allow you to actually perceive certain frequencies and intensities. So the microwave auditory effect, even when it's perceived to be loud, requires low ambient noise. And the diplomats in news reports stated that these noises occurred virtually exclusively at night. Uh, The noise source doesn't seem to follow people around, but it does for the microwave auditory effect, and it did for diplomats. It's produced in the head and therefore is perceived to be either in the head, for many people slightly behind the head, or just above the head. Um, Normal noise seems to attenuate if you cover your ears. The microvoditory effect does not and can even be intensified. Five diplomats reported covering their ears or head with no attenuation of the sound. Um, And it was also reported that there was laser-like localization of the sound in space, which was said to defy known physics. Well, that defies the physics of, of sound, that is to say pressure waves, but it's completely consistent with the physics of Uh, electromagnetic radiation. In fact, lasers, of course, are electromagnetic radiation. She's saying, like, the microwaves are hitting your brain and causing your brain to react. It's not going through your ears. And so you feel like you're having a sound, but but you're not. And this is a phenomenon we've known about since the 60s. And that is not the only evidence. Beatrice looked at the symptoms reported in the JAMA paper, which, again, were, were, like, kind of all over the place. And she compared them to individuals in this Japanese study who've complained about health effects from microwave exposure. Headaches in 81%, headaches in 81%. 
80%. Cognitive problems, 81%. Cognitive problems, 81%. Sleep problems, 86%. Sleep problems, 76%. Dizziness, 67%. 64%. Irritability, 67%. 56%. Tinnitus, 57%. 63%. Anxiety, 52%. 56%. So all of the symptoms that both of them asked about were very, very similar in frequency. And there really is no other condition that has that those sort of close parallels. And so you, know, you can find, here's the thing, you can find people who are critical of this conclusion. There's this Washington, Washington Post article that, that quotes three of them. One is a former State Department official who studies nuclear proliferation. One is a brain surgeon who doesn't seem to actually study microwaves. And one, I will say, does appear to be an actual honest-to-God uh, scientist with expertise in microwaves. But, but, but here's my point. We have not done scientific studies where we deliberately microwave people at like medium intensity for months at a time. That's not ethical. There's no randomized double-blind trials where that happens. So there's no rock-solid evidence in peer-reviewed literature that shows this perfect causality. So what if, if what you're looking to do is call three or four researchers and put together a news story, you can come up with like 700 pretty compelling words that support whatever conclusion you want on this. Especially if you're in an area of science that's not getting a ton of attention, and if you're dealing with a really public, very complicated political brouhaha where state actors are deliberately obscuring information. Wow. Hmm. You know, it's so in epidemiology, there's this um, pretty common phrase that a lot of people say, and you might have heard it, which is if you hear hoofbeats, don't assume it's a zebra. Right. And the idea here is like, you know, it, it's sort of like, um, typically it's the simple thing. Typically it's the obvious thing. And if a bunch of people get sick, it's probably not like a brand new disease or something that's never been studied. Yeah. And this is Occam's razor. Yeah, exactly. It's in, in epidemiology terms. Um, and for the most part, like it is a good rule in the sense that like usually it's true. And what I think doesn't get said in that is when it is a zebra, <laughs> um, it's really, really, really hard to figure it out because everybody's assuming it's a horse. Right. But but the thing that I'll I'll say to caution that is that most of the time it's a horse. Most of the time it's a horse sure. and and often uh you just don't have an inf- enough information to know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we don't actually have enough information to go that far. Right. But like it's where your head wants to go. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're a science journalist, your head wants to go to mass hysteria and <laughs> crickets. Yeah. <laughs> and and I found this over and over like like so many people that I talked to, whatever it was that they're an expert in, that was the explanation right. that they gravitated towards. Operation confirmation bias. Yeah. Is that what this is? Is this about you, <laughs> like, realizing that you had a bias? That's it for Word of Mouth this week. This week's show was produced by Sam Evans-Brown, Taylor Quimby, Jimmy Gutierrez, Justine Paradise, and me, Erica Janik. Music from this week's episode came from Blue Dot Sessions. Outside In's theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Word of Mouth is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.